All right, be seated. Good morning. Hey, Brad had 90-something kids at VBS this week, passed through the doors, so pretty cool. And uh, 50 volunteers, which is pretty neat, yeah. So Brad does a good job every year, and uh, just thankful for all of his time and effort. It's a lot of energy. It's, it's in part why he's doing worship by himself this morning, so he didn't have to do a, a Thursday practice and and uh, try to gather a bunch of people for that. So we're thankful for Brad and thankful for that uh, growth. Hey, if I haven't met you, um, my name's Jesse, and uh, I get to preach the word here pretty much every week. I'm, I'm actually going to take a, a Sunday off here uh, in, in, a, in a little bit, and I'm looking forward to it because um, I just I feel like I need a little bit of a break. So um, we're going to be in Jonah chapter 3 this morning. So if you have your Bible or one of those fake ones on your phone, you can pull that out. <laughs> Uh, or if you need one, you want to borrow one, uh, one of our ushers will gladly uh, hand you one. Just keep your hand up, and uh, they, they'll give you one. Uh, a couple things um, I want to mention so you're aware of for our ministry moment. Uh, one was obviously about uh, VBS. <clears throat> Another one is last week we launched our family devotions that are based off of what your kids are learning next door in Sunday Children's Church. So um, in September, we're going to be launching a children's program uh, for the 8.30 in addition to the 10.30, so it currently only exists at the 10.30. We're also going to do it at the 8.30, uh, and then along with that, as we're gearing up for that, uh, the leaders over there have launched these family devotions. If you haven't seen them, you can find them on the front page at sbctrucky.com. They are launched every Monday in the newsletter that we put out, uh, which you can sign up for online or at the info booth. And it's, it's a five-day devotional that you can spend some time with your kids uh, doing in the morning or at night. So five-day devotional. They're not really long, but they are based on what your kids are learning. Uh, and then there's a preview for what the kids are learning next week. So it's just a way for you to, uh, as a family, to be just really involved in what we're doing as a whole. I'm really excited about it. I think it's great. Uh, and so, again, we're going to be launching that program in September. The devotions are out now. Uh, and then um, what we've been talking about every week is that we've needed help in children's church because of this addition, which is great. Several people have stepped up. Uh, and then my, um, my leader who oversees the nursery team came to me that Sunday and said, uh, oh, by the way, we also uh, need help in the nursery. And so with that said, uh, we need help in the nursery. So with 50 volunteers at VBS, there's got to be a few of you who want to help out on Sunday morning with the kids. Uh, and so one of the things I've actually been sharing is, is by way of encouragement in your growth as you grow in your relationship with God and your understanding of who God is and what God asks of us is we've kind of used the tagline of come to one and serve at one. And so the encouragement would be that on a Sunday, you know, would you consider, you know, coming and attending to hear the word and to preach and or to hear the preaching of the word and, and to fellowship with one another, um, but and then serving at one of them, whether it's in children's church or ushering and greeting. Uh, I uh, was short ushers this morning. Uh, and someone stepped up for for us this morning to do that, and so we're just we're in need of all kinds of different things, small small little things like that. But uh, really, the nursery is a big one. So Christy Rogostad runs that. You can uh, get her contact info on the webpage under nursery. You can call the office, and we'll put you in touch with her. So uh, need for nursery there. And then if you've uh, been next door as parents, you know um, we're revamping next door. So. We're making the upstairs look better. We're replacing the carpet in there. So we've been trying to raise funds for the carpet, uh, which we're getting closer and closer with all of that. We're actually going to start 
um, booking all of the work for that to be done here pretty soon. Well, one of the things that we're also doing, so you're aware, is uh, uh, we have that big center island in the middle of the parking lot that's filled with sand, and that really hasn't been used <clears throat> all that much. So we actually are, are going to be removing that and getting rid of it and putting parking spaces there. And you may go, Whoa, what? Wait a minute, why? Well, here's why. Um, we're full enough, uh, like th this morning, the 8.30 uh, is just almost as full as this one. And several of you know, in order to get here, you had to cross the road. Uh, and we don't feel comfortable having our families do that. We don't want uh, little kids to be sprinting, especially like a family like mine. We've got four kids. So crossing the road is really a very dangerous ordeal because when there's only two parents and there's four gremlins, it's hard to rally them and keep them in a straight line. They're not like ducks. Like ducks are smarter than kids. You know, they <laughs> stay in a line. So um, all that to be said, uh, it's, a safety, it's a safety thing that we're, we're basically concerned about. Uh, so we're going to expand some spaces and get some more parking in there and utilize that space that we're not using. So if you start seeing some work there and you go, what are they doing? That's what we're doing. Um, we're, we're just trying to prepare ourselves as best we can for... Uh, the, the ways we've grown as a church, uh, the kids that are coming and the families that are coming and, and trying to do a good job with that. So um, with that said, pray for us on all of those things. It, it's definitely an undertaking. Also, uh, if you um, want to give to any of that, you, you can, because all of those projects that we've got going on uh, have a price tag to them. And we'd like money to go to people more than anything else, but sometimes those things are, are necessary. So this is your church, and uh, hopefully you're loving what God's doing here. I think it's pretty exciting, and it's pretty good. Amen? amen. See, you can always fake, like, enthusiasm as a pastor. Everyone say amen. 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 Woo, all right, okay, yeah, there you go. <laughs> He's excited. Um, okay, so we have a custom uh, at Sear Bible Church. The Word of God is important to us. Look, some of you already know it. Well, I don't have to even say it. Uh, we stand for the reading of God's Word to honor it. And so if you're able this morning, as I read uh, to us from chapter 2, verse 10, and the rest of Jonah, chapter 3, let us prepare our hearts. And the Lord spoke to the great fish, and it vomited Jonah upon the dry land. Then the Word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time saying, Arise, <clears throat> go, to jo go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast. And put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but, land, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them. 
and he did not do it. Lord, once again we come to you on a day that many would consider common, just another Sunday. But for us, Lord, we recognize that it is the day in human history we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We remember this morning we serve a living God, not one that is dead, not one that is mute, but one that is indeed alive. I pray this morning that the preaching of your word would be celebratory, that we would rejoice in the fact that we have a God that continues to not only live, but speak to us mightily. I pray for our hearts, that they would not be hardened to your truth, but they would be softened to what you have to say. They would hear from you in such a way, God, that it would change us and mold us, shape us into the very image of yourself, Lord, for after all, we were created in that image. Do a work amongst us this morning that can only be attributed to you. May it be anything but common. May it be extraordinary. We trust you for that work this morning, Lord. In Jesus' name, and the church said, amen. amen. You may be seated. Quick summary of Jonah chapter 1. Jonah hears the word of God, and in hearing the word of God, Jonah responds by running from God. That's the summary of chapter 1, running from God. Chapter 2, Jonah is swallowed by a great fish. He's taken to the depths of the sea, and in response to this conundrum, he then runs back to God. Chapter 1, running from God. Chapter 2, running to God. And in chapter 3, Jonah now will be running with God in relationship with God, responding to God. Really, chapter 3 is one of the most miraculous chapters in all of the Bible. It's a chapter of revival. In fact, we will see that an entire people group, an entire nation, if you will, a whole city responds to God in repentance and revival. Chapter 3 puts any Billy Graham crusade you have ever been to to shame. No one has ever responded in such a way since chapter 3. All of this occurs because of the repentance of Jonah and the repentance of the Ninevites. That's what I want to talk to you this morning about. You might spend a couple weeks in it. Knowing me, that might be three. The reality of repentance, the doctrine of repentance, the truth of repentance. You know that great word, that word that, that sells all kinds of books that, that end up on the top sellers list, right? You can do me a favor and just go ahead and dive in to your Amazon account and just look up uh, books on repentance and see how many top sellers there are. Probably none. In fact, the word repentance, even in the church, has become a bad word. It's not a word that we use too often. It's not a word that people enjoy hearing. In fact, I have found myself even in pre preaching this particular message and wondering if, if my own heart is ripe for repentance. Do I repent? And what is repentance? What is genuine repentance? Why is repentance such a big deal? To define repentance, repentance literally means to turn away from something and to turn to something. There's two actions of repentance. Uh, the first action is to recognize that which is not godly, that which is not good, to turn your back to that uh, bad thing, and, and then to turn to that which God desires you to do and enjoys you to do. In fact, Martin Luther, great quote from Luther, says the entire life of the believer, where I get my title this morning, is a life of repentance. The question this morning is this. Do you know what repentance is? Do you know what genuine repentance is? And are you a repenter? Do you repent? One of the things that I was speaking with someone actually this morning, it's happened every single week 
pretty much in the book of Jonah. The response uh, from this particular book for our church has been one of the greatest responses to any messages that I've, I've personally preached or I can remember being preached at Sierra Bible. The, the response has been great. People are inviting friends to church. People are inviting non-saved Christians to church. People are responding in things like, Jesse, that is a great message. The messages have been awesome lately. They've been great. They've been, they've been beautiful. And if you know me, you know that, that I, I don't do very well with comments, with compliments, not comments. I, I feel awkward, you know, kind of, what do I do with my hands? You did a great job. Ah. Okay. I had one of my youth group kids tell me one time, you know, I don't compliment you anymore. I say, why? Because every time you compliment me, you come back with a sarcastic remark. Go, yeah, I'm trying to deflect the comment. Something that Wayne has, has shared with me in the past, you've got to learn just to say thank you. And so I've tried to do that over the years. Thanks. I feel awkward. Thanks. And one of the reasons, though, that it's been overwhelming with this particular series, with this particular uh, run of, of messages, and the response to it is, is simply this. I do not want to just entertain and be a good pe- preacher. I, I'm glad that I'm not, you know, horrible at my job. I'm glad that people have enjoyed the messages, but those messages mean nothing if there isn't real, genuine heart change. If you say, great job, Jesse, that, that, that doesn't translate into my heart yearns more for the gospel of Jesus Christ. The reality is, is that if God is moving in you, you will be turning more and more away every day from those things that are self-centered and selfish and more and more to the things that are righteous and good to God. Am I right? I hope so. What it means, if I'm honest, is, is that God will, will move you to give more. Oh, don't talk about money. I hate churches that talk about money. But the Bible's clear that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And if you're tight-fisted with your money, it's because that's what you worship. Isn't God good to say, hey, you know what? You make 100% of your money. Here it is. You get to keep 90. And just to make sure you're not self-centered, give away 10 It's an issue to, to, that God is showing within, within your wallet book that you're showing that, that God's purposes are more important than anything else. Some of you know Rick Warren. Some of you love him. Some of you hate him. I'm not going to speak into whether I love him or hate him. But if you remember, Rick Warren wrote a very popular book. Are you aware of the book? Purpose Driven Life. If you've never heard of it, it's probably your first time at church. Welcome. <laughs> Rick Warren, when he sold those books, and he has sold many, he, he decided to give back, I think it was 10 or 15 years of his salary, back to the church. In addition to that, he flipped the principle. If I'm remembering this correctly, he flipped the principle, and, and, and now, I think currently still to this day, is living on 10% and giving 90, which is miraculous. It's great. I don't know Rick Warren's heart, so, so don't think I'm judging him when I say this. Because I, because I know people that, that have enough money that to give 10% actually isn't a sacrificial or a difficult thing. I don't know if that's true for Rick Warren. But I would, I would guess that Rick Warren living on 10% is still greater than most of your 100%. Maybe? Do you know what I mean by that? Right? So he's living on 10%, which happens to only be 500000 a year. 
So maybe it's not all that sacrificial. Maybe it's not all that big of a deal. I, I don't know. I'm not judging his heart. What's my point? My point is that some of us giving is easy. For some of us, serving is easy. For some of us, praying with somebody is easy. And God, in as we're in that relationship with God, he's going to require you to do things that are sacrificial. Are you with me this morning? That means for the person that it's easy to serve, but it's hard to give. At some point in your relationship with God, God is going to push you to give. For those of you that it's easy to give, God's going to say to you, you know what you need to do? You need to serve. We need help in the nursery, by the way. (laughs) Repentance. It's a lifelong process. It's not a one-time deal. Repentance is such a big deal In fact, that the Hebrew form in the Old Testament is used a thousand times. The opening of the Gospels in the New Testament, Matthew 3, 2, John the Baptist opens the Gospels with the message of repentance. As the Gospel opens, and the Bible in the New Testament opens with repentance, Revelations chapter 3, verse 3, ends the book of the Bible with repentance. Jesus himself starts preaching the message of repentance, Matthew chapter 4. Before his death, Jesus teaches repentance, Luke 24. As Christ has passed on this great message to his apostles, the apostles continue this declaration of repentance in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. If you remember, Peter declares, you need to repent. Paul carries this message in Ephesians, I'm sorry, in Acts chapter 17, verse 30, to those in Athens. Repentance is preached in the Old Testament, it's preached in the New Testament, it's preached often, it's preached frequently, it's something that all of us must know and understand and be doing. One quote says, more than that, the reason that we prioritize repentance is because our Lord and Savior tells us to. The gospel is on full display when we repent. Its light shines forth for us as we perceive our moment-to-moment need of a gracious Savior. And it penetrates into the painful darkness of others as it illuminates the route to restoration grounded in the good news of a holy God. Or as the great theologian Tertullian once said, I was born for no other end but to repent. Notice Tertullian's language. Notice Luther's language. The life of a believer, what we should be doing, part of what worship is, is the continuation of turning away from that which God hates and turning to that which God loves which means all of us in this room are in a constant, shifting, changing, moment-by-moment, continual repentance. I'm an individual who loves the uh, doctrines of the Reformation. And one of those reasons that I love the doctrine of the Reformation is, is that basically what the Reformation teaches us is that we should always be, as Christians, continually being reformed and changing Reformed literally means that that we will continually change more and more to be more biblical and more and more to be gospel and grace-centered. For us as a church, that means that there will be things that we do that we will at some point realize we shouldn't do anymore. We should reform. Or things that no longer work. Or things that aren't gospel-centered as they should be. Or things that aren't as biblical as they should be. The church should be repenting as a whole, and its people should be repenting. And Jonah has come to this place in chapter 2 where he is repenting in prayer. He's coming back to God. And then now he's finally, in chapter 3, he's going to be obedient. What's the message of this? 
The message is, as we have shared before, God will put situations and circumstances in your life to get you to repent. Notice what it says in chapter 1, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 3, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, what? A second time. It's interesting that it says the second time. You could, not to add to Scripture, but you could, you could also say this is not just the second time that Jonah's heard from God. It's the third time. Chapter 1, verse 1, the word of the Lord comes to Jonah. Jonah runs from the awesome, powerful word of God, and he finds himself running from God 2,500 miles in the opposite direction. And if you remember in chapter 1, he's hiding in the belly of a boat, not the fish, not yet. And in the belly of the boat, he falls asleep. And as he falls asleep, the, the captain comes and finds him in the bottom of the boat, and he says to Jonah the exact same words that God spoke, Arise! O sleeper, and call out to your God. You could say that God was using the captain to speak to Jonah. And now again in the chapter 3, God is speaking to Jonah. And Jonah now responds in repentance. He is obedient. Notice the difference in chapter 3, verse 2. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. Call out against it the message that I tell you. It's different than the first time God came. Chapter 1, verse 1, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. If you will, there's, there's a little bit of freedom for Jonah. Call out against it. Go to Nineveh, call out against it. You're a prophet of God. Do what you do. Do what you've been gifted to do. Go preach my word. He doesn't do it. So now God's got to be a little bit more specific with Jonah, because Jonah's still on a short leash. Jonah! Arise, go to the great city, and preach what I tell you. And if you look at verse 1 of chapter 1, or, or in chapter 1 again, it says in verse 3 of chapter 1, but Jonah. Do you see it? Small little words, even in the Bible, matter. But Jonah ran. Chapter 3, verse 3, so Jonah. He's repenting. We see an illustration of repentance in Jonah. We see an illustration of repentance within Nineveh. So what are we learning? What is real repentance? How does real repentance come? If repentance can be defined as being transformed and conformed into the likeness of God, how do I know it's real? How do I do it? And I think in chapter 3 here we have some very clear teaching in regards to how repentance comes. And it comes from verse 1 of chapter 3. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. Jesse's translation, how about this way? I don't sell as many translations as the ESV, but hey, one day. The word of the Lord not just only came to Jonah, I would translate it maybe as confronted Jonah. Repentance is always brought on with a radical confrontation of God's Word. Are you with me this morning? You don't need my opinions. I like to share them. You don't need them. My opinions don't mold you. They don't shape you. They don't change you. You don't even need my preference. And my preference may be to talk about God's grace and not mention a whole lot of his judgment. That's not popular. My preference would be that you would like every message. My preference, even though I want your heart to be changed, would be that, yeah, you like me as your pastor. 
But those preferences don't matter. What matters is the Word of God coming, confronting, and changing us. And as I mentioned earlier, that, that it's one thing to enjoy the message, it's another thing to be changed by the message. And sometimes messages that are entertaining don't change you. You have to come into a confrontation that sometimes is uncomfortable. You and I both need to hear things that we don't like to hear. Right? Culture has a particular doctrine. Watch a documentary this week. And the documentary basically was the, was the cultural teaching that love is love. Love is love. That's the mantra, isn't it, of the culture today? Do anything, anything you want to do as long as you don't hurt somebody else. And don't ever confront somebody with what they're doing is wrong because you might be unloving. If you're an alcoholic and I come to you and I say, stop, that's bad, is that unloving? It's the most loving thing I can do, isn't it? And now we come against this dilemma. What is love? Love is defined by God, not by culture, not by preference, but by God. And God tells us that there's a certain way to live in regards to who he is that is healthiest for the flourishing of humanity. God says, you want your best life now? Which is a ridiculous statement. Then live according to my word. Don't allow your preference to shape and mold you because your preference will lead to a self-centered idolatry. Part of Jonah's sin here is self-idolatry. He has a preference. And the preference prior to this, and even you'll see in chapter 4, the preference is the message of God should not go to Nineveh. Have you noticed there are several different times that, that, that the message that is to go to that great city, large city? About this, just take a moment to reflect on the greatness of this city. This was a huge city. Later, it will become literally the capital of Assyria. Now, be mindful of something. Jonah, in chapter 2, verse 10, is vomited on dry land. Once he's on dry land, some of you may remember, he's not in Nineveh yet. Do you know where he's got to go? 500 miles east. He gets to think about what he's going to say to a people group that he does not like, that he does not prefer. Upon coming to the city before preaching the word that God has specifically told him, he will have seen, first walking up to that city, walls that are 100 feet high, massive structures. Alongside of the city would have been an additional 200-foot towers, several of them surrounding the entire city. The walls were thick enough that three chariots could ride abreast upon the top of those walls. There was 15 gates to enter into the city, each gate named after a different god. They had many gods, a plethora of gods. Nahum calls the city, Nineveh, a bloody city. They murdered people. They raped people. They ravaged other cities. In fact, there was decorations of human skulls in the forms of pyramids throughout the city, both to instill fear to their enemies, but also as an act of worship to their false gods. As I mentioned, this is not only an advanced city and a wicked people. 
It's such a large city that, that many have read this to read, it's a great city. Three days journey in breath, it says. And some believe that this three-day journey, that, that Jonah literally took him three days to go from place to place within the city to preach this message that God had given him, this message of repentance. But that's not what is being said here. The emphasis is not on that this is a large, powerful, militant people. That's not the emphasis. In fact, some of you, if you have an ESV, you can look at your Bible, look down, and if you look at the end of chapter 3, verse 3, you may see where it says Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. Take a look there. There may be a little notation in your Bible. Anyone have a notation? Anybody? 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 Bueller? Bueller? Yeah, there you go. As you jump down to see what that little number means, you'll note that the actual Hebrew reads, it was a great city to who? God, the emphasis is not that the city is large. The emphasis is that God loves the people of Nineveh. For whatever reason, God loves these wicked people. This is an important city to God. He loves them. And even the three days journey, many believe, those who, who read this to understand that this is about God loving this city, is that it didn't mean that it actually took three days, but that the Assyrians had a culture that when a diplomat came into the city, they were to spend at least three days in the city. Day one was to preach and formally announce why you were visiting. Day two was to do whatever business and transactions you needed. Day three was then to be sent back home. In fact, some believe that, that the actual literal reading here to say that his message was yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown, maybe just be a summary. That he didn't just walk through the city for three days and go, 40 days, you're all going to die. 40 days and you're all going to die. Maybe, maybe he wasn't complicit. But the reality that I want you to see is that God preaches repentance to Nineveh because it's a great city to God. Now let's bring that into this room. Why is there a Sierra Bible Church in Truckee, California? Because the people of Truckee, California are important to God. Why are there other churches in the area? other than Sierra Bible, because we're not the only show in town. I don't know if you know that or not, because we're not. I tell our staff, as by reminder to them and by reminder for myself, to believe that Sierra Bible has the ability to reach everybody in Truckee without any other Christian help is prideful arrogance. To think that we can meet all people's needs, there's only one guy who can meet all people's needs, and that's Jesus, and I don't know if you know this, but we're not the only ones who have him. Some of you know my love language is sarcasm. Uh, I've had to repent of that at different times because not everybody feels loved when you are sarcastic with them. I've learned not to do this. If you're a visitor this morning, you maybe have to forgive me. Uh, but but I, just in pure jest, we've had people who stop by the week. It's a pretty cool deal when someone stops by during the week to check out the church, check, check out the doctrinal statements and see what we're all about and see what we teach because they care. They actually care that, that the message isn't going to be watered down and that Jesus is, is preached, that the gospel is present, and that God is actually worshipped and that they're not just being entertained. It's really neat. And, and so they'll, inevitably the conversation, someone will ask, well, are there any other churches in town? And I'll mention the other churches and I'll say, yeah, these are the other churches that are in town. And then I'll say, but we sell a better Jesus than they do. 
And they go, what? And I go, no, I'm totally joking. I'm joking. Okay, I'm joking with you too. Your reaction was the same as theirs. I shouldn't have even said it. It's a joke, okay? Like, I'm not serious. There's one Jesus. We don't have a better one. Oh, man. Thus, you learn that not everyone's love language is sarcasm. And then inevitably, someone walks by and goes, do you know what he said about the other churches? Repentance. The reality of repentance is that it will be brought forth by a radical confrontation with God's speaking. That message comes to Jonah. Jonah finally goes and he speaks it. Notice, though, that it came a second time, right? A third time, as I mentioned earlier. Why? Because God is persistent, is he not? We call this God's persistent grace. Someone came to me again this morning. They said, these messages are great for high schoolers because I just love the reality that, that that's what we got to teach our kids. You can't run from God. You can't. What I find completely amazing about this persistent grace is that, that Jonah, if you look at it, Jonah, Jonah does not deserve to continue to be a prophet. I've known pastors who've lost their jobs for less than Jonah. Surely you've done something wrong, pastor, and surely you need repentance, and surely salvation is for you, but you cannot and will not be preaching here any longer. Jonah's salvation being intact? Sure. Him continuing to be in office? Ugh. God, what are you thinking? Sending someone like Jonah to a people of Nineveh that, that don't love you? You're sending Jonah to a group of, of God-haters? What? Can we also take note that, that the miracle isn't God's sovereignty over the sea? The miracle isn't God's sovereignty over this great fish that swallows Jonah. The miracle isn't the fact that God is speaking audibly to Jonah. The miracle is that people repent of their sins. The miracle is that God's giving a second chance. And that's what we need for our repentance, a continual repetition of God's word and confrontation to us. Is that not true? Have you heard it once and not responded? Yeah, probably. How about twice? Yeah, that's me. Three? Uh-huh. Four? Well... I don't want to admit it, but five, I still don't want to admit it, but six, I still don't want to admit it, but over and over and over and over, and then you get it. And then after you get it, then what do you do, oh, frail human? You forget it. I got it. Six months later, I don't know what I'm doing. I got to call the pastor. Right? Are we, Come on, it's hot in here. I'm going to start sweating a little bit more. I'm not going to raise my arms because I don't want you to see the sweat circles under there. I know you're warm. We need God's persistent grace in our lives. But friends, when you hear it, please respond to it. There is not one pastor on this planet who has the ability to preach in such a way with their own preferences and language to change you. There's not one pastor good enough. There's only God. And you know it. Let's be honest. You know it. I don't have the right things to say every week. I'm actually in that place where the response has been so positive. I'm like, well, I've got to have a bad week eventually. Is it this week? Maybe, maybe it's this week. You don't need my preference? 
You need the reminder and the confrontation of God. Psalms 119 verse 67 says, Before I was afflicted, just as Jonah was afflicted in the whale, I went astray. But now, but now finally, I keep your word. We don't need more lights, more smoke, more entertainment. We need people, we need men, we need women to stand up and say, God spoke, God speaks. It's right here. You've heard me say it before. If you want to hear God audibly, read your Bible out loud. Some of you don't get it. (laughs) Or it wasn't that funny. Notice, though, that Jonah preaches this word, this confrontation to bring repentance comes. Jonah preaches the word, and then what do the people do? Verse 5, and the people of Nineveh believed. Everyone say believed. believed. They respond. This is what happens anytime there's really good preaching, even if it's not really good preaching. The preacher preaches, and the people believe and attribute the message to God. To God. It's God who changes. It's God who speaks. It's God who gets the credit. It's not man. Or as John Calvin says, every time the gospel is preached, it is as if God himself came in person solemnly to summon us. Man, there is nothing, nothing quite, quite as beautiful as sitting in a church service and actually seeing Jesus, though he can't visibly be seen. To know that he's in the room, to, to just, you can taste it. He is the bread of life. He's the water that feeds our soul. He's who we put our focus and our attention on. So that way when Pastor Jesse leaves, we know that it was Jesus who never went. We were helping one church in the area a while back, and they've gone through several pastors. The last one just kind of picked up and left. Left the church hurting. Left its people hurting. And the opportunity I had when I got to preach to that particular church was to just simply share with them the reality. Your pastor may have left, but your senior pastor has never gone anywhere, ever. Isn't that glorious news? It frees you to make, from making me something I'm not. And it frees me to be more open about who God is. Confrontation of the word of God comes, and that's what we need more than anything anything else. Jonah, preach what I tell you. Jesse, preach what I tell you. Church, preach what God tells you. Your job is to get the God's, God's meal to the table without messing it up. But there's nothing worse than a meal that somebody's jacked up and prepared for you, is there? My wife and I bought ribs a while back, put them in the oven. And what we did to them was unspeakable. (laughs) Just black char, ruined. I tried to to save it by cutting the char off, but the char went too deep. And only myself and Jonah, our bravest child of the group, were the only ones who ate it. And my job isn't to, to prepare the meal. God's already prepared the meal. My job is to preach the meal, to share the meal without, without putting heresy in it, without putting my preference in it, with just sharing the reality that, that God loves his people so persistently that no matter what we do, we can't run from him. He's going to drag us back to himself and that he will do everything necessary to make sure that God's word will stand and it will be preached no matter what we do. If we fail, 
as a church to preach God's word, God will open up another church. If I leave, God will make sure he brings another pastor here in Sear Bible or, or some other church in town to preach the simple, clear message of God. And I think that's one of the reasons that Jonah's message was responded to the way it was. It was simple and it was clear. We don't need to complicate it. We've shared it before. I don't know how to say my, I don't know how to share my faith. I don't, I don't know apologetics and hermeneutics and all that, big, those big words and exegeticals, this and eisegesis. You know, I'm just throwing out words to see, you know, big ones. See what you know, what you don't know. No. The power of God comes when the word of God is preached. Repentance will always be brought on. Life change will always be brought on by an encounter with the spoken word of God and with the reading of God's word. It doesn't need to be gimmicky. It doesn't need to be funny. In fact, the last church that, that we had worked with, they, they hired a pastor who isn't all glitz and glam, but he preaches the word. He brings the Bible or as Alistair Begg says, we have no symbols in our church because the only symbol that we need is an open Bible. What is our icon? This is the icon. What is the thing we look to? This is. Jonah finally is being bent into the image of God to finally be obedient to God, and he's coming to a place where now he can be used by God. Chapter 1, running from God. Chapter 2, running back to God. Chapter 3, repentance is now running with God. Where do you want to be? Someone came to me and said, man, I, in the area, and they said, I, 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 think I, want to, I think I want to dive in. They were part of VBS. They volunteered at VBS. said, I think I want to dive in and, and serve every week here. And I just simply told them, join, join where God's working. It's, you don't have to recreate something. And it's so amazing to be a part of running with God. And what's really great is in spite, in spite of, of the leadership's failures here, and in, in spite of the things that we've, we've done wrong, in spite of the fact that we're not perfect, God's working at Sierra Bible. It's so cool. I'm excited about it because I get to be a part of it. I don't want to be on the sideline. I remember doing that in football years and years ago. Well, I just like being part of a team. What's your job? I keep the bench warm. I, that's not fun. It, it's not fun. Being in the game is fun. In Christianity, that game allows all of us to jump in and be a part of what God's doing. William Booth, he has, he's the, the founder of Salvation Army. He says, not called. Not called, did you say? Not heard the call, I think you should say. Put your ear down to the Bible and hear him bid you, go and pull sinners out of the fire of sin. Put your ear down to, to the burden, agonized heart of humanity, and listen to its pitiful wail for help. Go stand by the gates of hell and hear the damned entreat you to go to their father's house and bid their brothers and sisters and servants and masters not to come there. Then look Christ in the face, whose mercy you have professed to obey, and tell him whether you will join heart and soul and body and circumstance, and the march to publish his mercy to the world. Isn't that good? 
See, repentance is brought on by the word of God, but then repentance acts. Repentance does something. Verse 5. And the people of Nineveh believed. Real repentance will, will inevitably turn you to a greater belief in God. A greater understanding in who God is. And then that repentance not only produces belief, the repentance then also preaches repentance. That's number three. Repentance, real repentance, preaches repentance. What do the people do in verse 5? The people of Nineveh believed, then they called a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. They called their own fast. You can appreciate this, I think. Jonah's message has a part one. There's no part two. Right? We've had three messages in chapter two. We might have three, maybe four, in chapter three. Jesse needs a part one and a two. God doesn't. Because the people pick up the part two. They start to preach the proclamation and the goodness of God themselves. This is the greatest response to any biblical teaching and preaching of God's word. When the pastor and the preacher becomes unnecessary because the church itself is preaching the good news. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Are you with me this morning? Are you warm enough now to, that you understand that you, right, it's hot enough in here to just draw attention to it to remind you hell's not going to be fun. And as we preach that reality, we have to understand that it isn't just the pastor's job. Greatest revivals come within the people themselves, where there is no person to look at except for the person of Jesus Christ. But the word is going forth in such a way that everyone knows what SBC is about. Everyone in Tahoe Truckee knows what SBC is about. They may not like it, but they may have to respect it because we're such a loving, kind, beautiful people. We show what real community is like. We show what real service is like. We're involved in the things of the area and the community. We love who Truckee is. We serve them. Why do we help out on Truckee Thursdays? Why do we, why do we help clean up the neighborhoods? Why do we invite kids from, from next door over here? Why do we do VBS? Why do we do these things? To show people that they matter to God because Nineveh matters to God. Truckee matters to God. Tahoe matters to God. Reno, Nevada matters to God. People have a need. And the reality of this is for repentance to happen, you have to first experience it for yourself so you can bring it to somebody else. Jonah needed to be worked on in chapter 2. His heart needed to be molded and shaped into God's image in chapter 2 so they finally could respond in chapter 3 and bring that message to those people. Why do I say this? Because there's still some of you in this room that we still need to go back to chapter 2. Jess, we spent three weeks in it. I know, but you need six. And maybe not you, but somebody else. And then once you finally you are grasping it and you're comprehending it, you come to that place and say, okay, God, use me. I don't want to fight you. I don't want to run from you. I want to join in on what you're doing. God, I, I want your compassion. I want your mercy. You're so, you're so awesome, God. And if you notice, he says to them as he preaches, he says to them, 40 days. Why? Why is 40 days important? Because he's given them more time than they deserve. Just like you and just like me, God is so gracious and so patient and so persistent, he'll put whatever he needs to in your life to draw you back to himself. And, and even if you don't get it after day one, it's okay because there'll be a day two and a day three and a day four. But let's be clear, there is a day 41 where God eventually says, no more. I'm done. You know what? I love you. I'm tired of seeing you hurt your family taking you home. 
God's the only judge who knows that perfect time. But I do believe that God says to certain people, <laughs> you're coming home, you're done. Game over. I don't want to wait 40 days to get it, though. But I'm thankful that he gives me 40 days. And it's not a literal thing, okay? You're sitting there probably looking, oh, man, we've been in Jonah for how long? Oh, I better figure this out quick. Or God's calling me home. He might, but he's patient with you, and he's persistent. Let us as a church stand in awe of a glorious God who is patient, who is persistent, who is loving, and who is kind, and he cares enough about wicked people to save them, and he's a better judge than you and I. Let us as a church turn our eyes to Christ and see that our entire lives should be a life centered on the word of God and a life of repentance changing to his image. Amen? With that, I'm going to close because I feel sweat dripping down my back. <laughs> and that is not a good thing. It isn't. Man, I am so flipping hot right now. <laughs> I want, I want, I'm like, man, Lord, do work in these people. Oh, what is that? That's gross. <laughs> my glasses are fogging up. I've not been this hot in a long time. And yet here I am lingering for more. Just keep it in the sun. God's good, isn't he? And to just, to just put something on the cap of this, um, I do appreciate your appreciation of what God is doing through the word at Seer Bible. And I have no way of judging what God's doing in your heart. That's not my job. But I do know, and it does need to be repeated, that my messages are worthless if they don't cause you to turn more towards Christ. And they're worthless if they don't cause you to be molded and shaped more into his image and to respond to him. It's, it's worthless. It's trash. And sometimes, just being honest, sometimes I'm like, oh, man, like, Lord... I'm fearful of just sounding really good and getting people to come to church because, oh, well, the preaching, the preaching's good there or it's decent there. The last thing I want to do is read my own press and my ego start being inflated because when I say, when I say, you know, hey, you've been responding well, like what I mean is only five people told me it was really good, you know? And the, you, you know what I'm saying? Like the response has been very, very good. And I am thankful for that. I wouldn't want to hear the opposite. Man, the preaching is so boring. But wouldn't it kind of be really beautiful too for someone to say, man, like, you are not a good preacher, but man, Jesus is so real every Sunday that I keep showing up. <laughs> it's like there's a part of you like that'd be really cool, but like really lame too. <laughs> like, but there's something that we know that, like I want that for my own life. The best the best preaching I lean to as a pastor, I go to stuff that rubs me raw, that, that makes me feel awkward, that tells me things that no one else is willing to tell me, especially in an accepting culture like ours, right? Because you don't want to offend anybody. You don't want to offend anybody. Um, but sometimes God wants to offend you. And God wants to say things to you that you don't like hearing. And hopefully, hopefully as, as, as good as maybe the response has been on occasion, you can say, I don't, I don't necessarily like what you said, 
but I know it needed to be said, and now I got to go deal with that between myself and God. And that's okay too, right? Um, we're all in process. We're all growing. I'm thankful that I get to grow with you, and I'm thankful that many of you like and enjoy growing along with us. But we're doing this together, okay? Yeah? I'm in the same boat. I need repentance probably more than most. And uh, if you don't believe me, ask my children. And um, we're, all, we're all in process. Let's pray. Lord, as we worship and we close in song, um, do a great work in us, Lord, that is attributed to you and you alone. May we see that, that we're important to you, and that's why this message of repentance has come to us. May we also see that <clears throat> the people that we know around us are important to you, and so would you use us to share the gospel with them? Would you right now, as we respond in worship, would you right now not let one person leave this building without your word confronting them and what they now need to do in response to you, Lord? For some, it may be service. For others, it may be a financial gift. For some, Lord, it may be sharing the gospel with someone that they've delaying in doing that. For some, it may mean that they need to dive in on a daily devotional basis to you. For some, it may mean that they need to start leading a Bible study or they need to love their wife more or they need to love their husband or their kids more, Lord. For some, it may be turning from pornography or substance abuse. For some, it may be turning away from social media and turning to you. Lord, it could be so many different things, but I'm just asking you to take whatever those things are, specifically speak them to your children's hearts. And as they hear from you, Lord, would they respond to you in such a way that you're more beautiful to them, that you're more glorious to them, Lord, and that their lives and their families' lives and their friends' lives are better off because of that worshipful experience with you. We trust you for this work. We trust you for your guidance. We trust you for your provision. And we trust you because you are so persistent to us and you are so gracious to us, Lord, that we have no other response but gratitude and to lift up our hands and our voices to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We trust you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.